It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. It's a Sunday night. It's mm-hmm. kind of fall, technically. Yeah, I think yeah it is. Saturday like, was maybe yeah. the first, I was going to say, Saturday is the first day of officially fall. Days, so yeah. That means we're, we're joined by Kevin Flaherty. Got a, a lot to talk about. Kansas yeah. football defeats BYU 38-27. KU kicks down the back door of the spread and is able to cover what was, I think it depends on where you got it at some point. It was maybe close to 10 at other points. It was closer to eight. Um, but nonetheless, Kansas improves to four. zero. the first time the Jayhawks have been four. zero in back-to-back seasons since 1914 and 1915, pretty historic back-to-back starts to seasons for KU Kevin, I don't actually know where you watched this game. I was obviously <laughs> up in the press box. Were you one of the the forty seven thousand plus that were uh, at David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium? At least for the I first was not time? actually. I was I was taking advantage the the TV that's like just above me here is what I was uh, what I was watching it on. I, I had the multiple screens set up actually uh, in our basement down here during the NCAA tournament. My wife will let me bring a third flat screen down here on oh. this side and so have uh have the three flat screens set up and, and everything it's uh it's pretty nice for for watching games but no it was it was interesting because i i think you know i would have liked to be there even with the weather it just wasn't something that wound up working out but one of the reasons i was excited to watch it though was because of the fact that lewis riddick was one of the people mm. who was on the crew and for those who don't know, you know, Lewis Riddick has sort of this extensive, you know, NFL scouting background. And so as Kansas continues to get better, you know, I know uh, I know uh, Miller came out to, to one of the earlier games who's ESPN, one of their main scouting guys. And now Lewis Riddick coming out. It's kind of interesting to not just get the point of view on the players from, hey, these these are who Kansas has from a college standpoint but also kind of hear what they have to say about the Jayhawks or maybe people who are looking at some of these players and projecting them, you know, onto the next level and everything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you're mentioning Matt Miller, right. From, I think yeah. he lives in Kansas city as well, but yeah, I thought overall, you know, as we see KU continue to progress as a program, right. You're going to see more and more NFL guys, more and more NFL scouts. It was another game where uh, several NFL scouts were there in attendance as well. Um, I think it was north of five or six, I want to say, different teams were represented there um, for this game. And look, I, you're looking at probably a few different guys at different parts probably of the program of where they're at in terms of their development being guys that maybe could grow into NFL prospects. But I, I think focusing on this game itself, you know, yeah. I, I think it's pretty good news for KU that the weather held off. I think if it had gotten really rainy, it maybe would have been bad news, but also look, BYU came to Lawrence with the game plan of we're just going to throw the ball around for four quarters. And 
that wasn't necessarily something I expected was to see BYU kind of just abandon the run game overall, you know, and, and really try and attack KU through the passing game. So maybe the weather would have helped KU considering the fact that you look at the way that the Jayhawks rushed the ball, especially in the second half, you know, going into it, I thought, I thought the rain would, would hurt KU. And in the end, maybe would have helped considering the, the game plan KU had and the way things started. But Kevin, we got to start with BYU's second offensive play in the big 12. Sure. Kobe Bryant lays the wood. I mean, just an impressive hit, an impressive play to set the tone for the rest of the game. You know, when he laid the hit, I, I'm watching the press box and I'm like, whoa, wow. Like that looked like almost like the targeting hit he had, right? In terms of like the the, the way he hit him. But the dip and the raise, was, yeah. Kind yeah, of, yeah, this one was a little – I think this one was cleaner. But pops the ball out, scoop, score – I just a perfect start to the game for, for KU overall. Yeah. I, I think when you looked at that offensive possession, right, Kansas comes right down the field, you know, it, it doesn't quite wind up uh, working out, but the, you know, you, you, and then BYU gets the ball, that second play, that was BYU's fastest guy. And so if you're wondering, you know, how BYU would have fared throwing the ball, because he, he wound up, you know, they took his helmet from him. He didn't play again the rest of the game, too. And that was, you know, that was probably a little bit of a factor, too. But the interesting thing to me is, you know, Kobe Bryant last year was such a playmaker, right? But I feel like it was kind of hit or miss, right? There were times when maybe he got taken advantage of a little bit, was a little too aggressive on some things, and and people went after him. And it's interesting. I'm not saying he's Aqib Tlaib, but I'm saying the path is kind of similar in that Aqib Tlaib had 8 billion interceptions, you know, for a really bad pass defense in 2006. He also got taken advantage of a little bit. And one of the areas that you saw him take a big leap the next year in that 07 team was he became a lot more consistent. He still got beat occasionally, you know, Kansas State fans will bring up the Jordy Nelson play from now until the rapture. But at the same time, that was where he made this major gain. And people, generally speaking, really started avoiding his side of the field. And I think you've really seen that a lot with Kobe Bryant. And, you know, I've actually gotten the question from a few people, you know, about how good Romello Dotson is. And I think. Dotson is probably better than you think he is. It's just that people are avoiding one side and they're throwing at him all the time. And when you do that, you're going to have some bad reps. But all of that is a really long way to say when they aren't going to your side of the field, generally speaking, you have to still find a way to impact games. And, you know, whether it's in coverage, whether it's locking a guy down, whether, you know, it, it's something else, I, I think, you know, the fact that he had the hit the forced fumble, scoop and score. Is that something you could have seen Kobe doing two years ago with how slight he was at build at the time and and everything else? And and also, I mean, the fact that he's able to impact a game, even like we said, in a game where BYU for the most part avoided him. Yeah, I think you look at – this is something I've mentioned, I think, at a few different places now, but I think nobody embodies the – growth and evolution of the KU defense than Kobe Bryant. 
Yep. You think back to that game against Texas, right? Two years ago when he kind of burst onto the scene with the pick six, right? And you see him, he, he's just scrawny, he's small, but you see the ball skills and you see him now, you know, he looks more filled out. He's not all the way there. I think that's going to be something he's always going to kind of have to fight, you know, during his football career. But he's someone now that has that physical edge to him where he can go make those plays. And I don't think he goes and makes that play this time last year. You know, I, I think we talked about that several times. Where last year you saw a lot of teams really try and run the ball to the corners almost, where just yeah. get out to the space, make KU's linebackers tackle one-on-one. A lot of receiver screens and things like that yeah. to get out and, there. And, yeah. and you're just not seeing that now. And yeah. I think it speaks to, right, the evolution of Kobe Bryant, where what was the talk, right, when we were talking on this podcast last year? It was, can he take the next step to just be really consistent? And yeah. I think he's done that where, you know, he was targeted three times. BYU threw the ball 51 times. He was targeted three times. You know, he allowed one reception. It's just a total impact on the game. And I think you're totally right by mentioning Melo Dotson too. Like he's better than what you have seen the last two games. But look, yeah. teams aren't really going to go try and attack Kobe Bryant right now. And so who are they going to go after? They're going to go after Melo Dotson. And in a game like this where the pass rush wasn't super consistent, you know, K wasn't consistently creating chaos around Keaton Slovis. Like, yeah, it's gonna be really hard for Melo Dotson to go and cover a guy for kind of three to four seconds when the quarterback, a former five-star recruit, has plenty of time to sit back there, survey, and then pick apart, you know, in the first half it was zone coverage. In the second half, it was more man-to-man coverage. So I think it's, you know, starting from the secondary, we could probably move our way forward on defense. Like, I just think the secondary, considering the circumstances, I think performed Okay, I'd say like yeah. maybe a B B minus grade. There are always going to be big plays that you allow if your pass rush isn't getting home, and if the other team drops back to pass fifty one times, right? And you look at what Keaton Slovis did in terms of just kind of the overall numbers for BYU, right? It's not necessarily you know super eye popping, right? Seven yards in attempt, you know, you throw for what three fifty seven yards and fifty one attempt or fifty one attempts, like it's not you're getting gashed every single play. There are just enough plays throughout the course of the game that you just got to, got to tip your hat to the, to the really talented quarterback who really didn't make a a ton of mistakes outside of really early in both halves. Yeah. And I I think too, it's important to look at what a defense is trying to accomplish too. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I, I know there, there was a lot of criticism for the defense, especially as Keaton Slovis was, was playing well and everything else. And, and, you know, hats off to that kid. He, he made some really nice throws too, and dropped some things in buckets where, you know, there wasn't a a ton of space and and he was able to make a throw. I think you hit the nail on the head and that the pass rush being more consistent was probably a bigger part of that than, than maybe the secondary in some cases, because he was allowed to get comfortable. But you even think about the, uh, the one throw down the sideline, that he dropped just perfectly in the bucket. I mean, he had a guy right in his face, and he still, you know, dropped that thing out there. Sometimes the other guys are going to make plays, but what I wanted to say was this was supposed to be a get-right game for BYU in the running attack. This was a game that BYU talked about going in, like, hey, we didn't run the ball well. We haven't run the ball well. This is when we're going to get back on track. You know, it was something that, 
quite frankly, BYU fans talked about, whether it was on Twitter, on you know, on our BYU 24-7 board or whatever else, was, hey, Kansas hasn't done a great job stopping the run. This is a team that we can line up and be physical against. And when you look at what Kansas wanted to accomplish, you could tell Kansas basically said, if you beat us throwing the ball, you know, hats off, but you are not going to run the ball over the top of us. And they were the more physical team. And BYU tried, you know, they tried to run inside. They tried to run outside. The running game just was not there. And it was so not there to the point that, like you said, at some point, BYU just basically said, you know what? The heck with it. We don't have a running game in this game. We're going to keep throwing this ball. And, you know, it's interesting because, we, we talk a lot on here about how improvement is not linear, right? It, it's not always, you know, a straight line or, or whatever. But one of the things that you can often see when the defense improves is that a defense does not go right away from being bad to being Georgia. What they wind <laughs> up doing it, a lot of times is going from being really bad to maybe where they can start to dictate, hey, we can't stop your run and your pass, but we can take one of these away. We can choose to make you uncomfortable in this phase of the game. And, and that was something they did against BYU. They basically said, you know what, you're, you're not going to run the ball on us. You know, if Keaton Slovis beats us, Keaton Slovis beats us. And mm-hmm. credit to Keaton for a lot of the game, he was, he was pretty good. He did make a few pretty big mistakes. And, and then, you know, you looked at, the way the defense played, you know, down the stretch and everything, you know, it was, uh, it, it wound up being enough. But yeah, I, I thought that that was the other part of it was it's easy to sit here and say, oh my gosh, they, they threw for 350. But when you don't have 400 total yards because you can't run the ball at all, you know, that needs to be mentioned sort of in concert with that too. Totally. And look, I think you mentioned the evolution of a defense. You know, I'm really of the opinion that, you know, offense a lot of times comes down to coaching. You can scheme guys open on offense, right? You see it all the time with KU where they make safeties look just so dumb and out of place and in the wrong spots, right? That's coaching. That's taking advantage of the pieces you have and moving them around. You can't do that for defense. Defense comes down to who the heck you have playing. And you look at right now the defense and who are the guys that are making big plays right now? Jeremy Robinson, Austin Booker, Devin Phillips, Gage Keys had the best game he's had, you know, Jamie yep. Brown, even Cornell Wheeler showed up a few times. You know, in the front seven, it's the new guys that are really standing out right now. And it goes back to recruiting. And look, you look at the job that KU did remaking this defensive line over the offseason. I think Jim Panagos, the defensive tackles coach, deserves a ton of credit because he recruited Austin Booker. He recruited Devin Phillips. He recruited um gauge keys as well like he went out and got some of these guys that are now making really big impacts and i think you can look too for taiwo and otolu the defensive ends coach going out and getting um uh someone you know like oh my gosh why am i forgetting his name now was he dylan brooks yeah sorry dylan brooks thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> dylan brooks and yeah guys like that i don't know why i'm having a brain fart here um so you see what they've done though and those are the guys that are making a really big impact in stopping the run. And so I think it's allowed guys like Rich Miller, 
I don't think he had the best first half. I think he was a little bit better in the second half. Lance Leipold mm-hmm. attributed it to communication, saying that they weren't really communicating as well as they could in the first half, and they did a lot better job of that in the second half. So for me, I look at it and I just say, I think the talent on defense has really allowed this, this unit to improve. And look, there's going to be a huge test this week in yeah. Texas because KU can try to stop the run against Texas, but Texas's huge offensive line might move KU around for a portion of the game. And maybe Xavier Worthy goes crazy and Quinn Ewer shows why for so many people, he was a first round draft pick potential type of player. Like the defense is still has a lot to prove, but each step of the way through these first four games, I feel like they've really shown um, that they are improved over last year. And I think it just goes to your point overall. Yeah. I think depth wise, especially, and I I thought you really touched on that, you know, when, when, when maybe your starters aren't playing quite as well, you know, you, you had a really big play in there from Cornell Wheeler, Jason Gilliam, you know, did some really nice things. uh, I thought Um, gauge keys, like you said, best, best game so far. And so, you know, it's not last year when Kansas matched up with Texas, and I know we're talking BYU and we're going to stick on BYU, but last year when Kansas matched up with Texas, nothing against Lonnie Phelps, but I'm not sure Kansas had a defensive lineman who belonged in that game. And I'm not trying to insult anybody or whatever else. I just, Texas's offensive line washed them right out. And, mm-hmm. and when you look at this year's game, I think the position that has improved the most from last year to this year, and I've heard some people say the DBs and things like that, and I wouldn't necessarily argue with you. I think yeah. it's the defensive tackles. Uh, I think when you when you look at the guys they brought in, I think when you look at the improvement that they've had from Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers in that group as well, I think that Kansas has four or so defensive tackles who can hang up in this who can hang out in this game and last year I'm not sure that they that they had one and again that's not an insult to anybody I thought Caleb Sampson had a really nice year last year I thought Lonnie Phelps had a really nice year last year but if you look at Jeremy Robinson this year if you look at the way that Austin Booker is built this year they're different body types right Kansas is bigger up front. They're more athletic up front, despite being bigger. And, and I think you're you're also seeing some of that athleticism and size changes, you know, through kind of the linebacking core as well. And, and you know, you saw this pay off against BYU. This is a game that we circled before the season, and we we kind of you know put this in the Illinois game in one basket, right? Because we felt like both of those teams would try to stand up and be more physical than Kansas and try to win the game with that physicality. And in both of those games, you know, Illinois, I did think um, Andy Kotelnicki's scheme had so much to do with it because they were able to, to kind of build gaps and run through those gaps and build space. In this one, the biggest difference in the second half when Kansas kind of took off is they lined up and went right at BYU. They were the more physical team and the more physical team on both lines, I I think. And that's Mm -hmm. something that even last year with how well the offensive line passed protected last year, I don't think that that sort of physicality on both sides of the line is something that we saw last year. 
Yeah, and I think, look, I think physicality too in the secondary. And I think this is also yeah. where I think Jordan Peterson, the job he's done really working with those cornerbacks and Brian Borland working with the safeties where O.J. Burroughs right now looks a lot more physical. And I, I, I tweeted this out, but his physicality, he's another guy like, like Kobe where you look at that Texas game and then you look now like O.J. was great stopping the run. There are a few plays where he just – flew in and made really solid tackles and really yeah. solid plays. And I think he'll want to have that intercept potential interception back where he kind of lets it hit his hands. And I think that's the second time that's happened this year. And for a guy that set the record for interceptions at IMG Academy, I mean, he would have a higher standard for himself. I think he'd say the same thing, but sure. the evolution of those guys physically, even some like Kenny Logan showing up more and more in the passing game right now. Yeah. That's been a big area. I think for me that I, you know, was a little worried about going into the season. I think he's been better in that. I think he's been better stopping the run as well. So I think overall this defense, you see the talent get turned over in the front seven where there are new faces coming in and making plays. And then the secondary, there's so much continuity there where I think guys are able to play freely and guys have developed and they're really able to go and just go out there. They know their assignment. They know the scheme. They know the coverage. And then go and execute. And I think that is a big reason why I think overall this defensive unit is able to create so much chaos where going into this game, Kevin, one in every four plays for KU's defense resulted in a tackle for loss, a pass breakup, or a forced fumble. And they, I think over the course of this game, had nine pass breakups. And that's in in addition, I believe, two or three sacks. So, you know, you're looking at, again, another performance where KU is creating disruption. And so I think for the defense overall, it's just a huge sign because if you can slow down other teams in the run game and force one or two turnovers the, over the course of a, a game, like that's huge. And this is a game where KU won by 11 points and the defense scored 14 points. It's pretty big, pretty big. So I think I'm really encouraged by what the defense has shown. And obviously, again, big tests to come, right? Texas is going to be a big test. I think UCF will pose some problems. I think Oklahoma will pose some problems. But so far, Every single kind of box that the defense has had to check, I think they've kind of been up to the challenge. Yeah, and I think trust is part of it too, and yeah, not to sure. get too much into it. But when you have one or two guys, you know, who are really effective, and, and you know, over the last decade, it feels like Kansas's defense has typically had one or two guys, right? Like whether that was Ben Heaney, whether that was Joe Deneen, whether that was Dorrance Armstrong, you typically had one or two guys. But those guys couldn't, a lot of times, I feel like, just do their job and have the faith and trust that, hey, the guys Mm -hmm. next to me are also going to be good enough to get their job done. They're also going to be athletic enough, physical enough, know their assignment well enough. And and those are a lot of different things. I think when you see Kansas play defense right now, I think they're playing fast. And the reason they play fast is because they feel like, hey – I can do my job because I know this guy next to me is also going yeah, to do it. Totally. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, switching to offense, this was a another one of those performances where I th- it just left so much to be desired. Yeah. Maybe in the first half, especially. And I keep going back to penalties, Kevin. This offense is so good when it doesn't shoot itself in the foot. And you look at that that play right there. It's third and one. KU does the stupid sugar huddle that they need to throw in the trash can. And 
they get up to the line of scrimmage and it's a false start on Michael Ford. And all of a sudden a, a third and one where you, you, you know, let's be real. KU was going to get that. And all of a sudden it's a third and six. And then KU's punting a play later. And it's the plays like that, that I think looking ahead, right though, that's what's concerning because this offense is going to put up points when it isn't putting itself at a disadvantage because it's been so good on first and second downs where, you know, KU generally has been in third and short. And when they're in third and short, they're really good. I think that's kind of the difference between the, the first half and the second half where in the first half, KU is 0-3 on third down. The second half, KU's four of five on third down. It's a big difference. And so I think for me, like penalties were really concerning. Um, what do you think of kind of the first half? Then we can get into the second half. But what do you think of the first half offensive performance? Yeah, let's let's talk math real quick. And, and I know oh, that gosh, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I'm flipping off the podcast real quick. The, don't get me wrong. Like, this is not complicated math. This is really easy math. Don't tempt me. Swain, we've talked about the fact that a lot like Bill Snyder, actually, Lance Leipold wants to play at a slow pace. Mm-hmm. He does. Sure. And when you think about it, when you play at a slow pace, it helps the team that is less talented because the less talented team has fewer possessions to win over. I I think I used this exact example on one of our previous podcasts. If you're playing in his prime, Michael Jordan, in a one-on-one game, if you're playing to two, you have a chance, right? You can throw up a lucky shot, whatever. Maybe, Maybe you score. It's not a great chance still, but you have a chance. If you play in his prime, Michael Jordan, to 50, you have no chance. Even if you throw up a lucky shot, you're going to lose 50 to two. So, so, I mean, that's, that's part of the theory behind it. And, you know, Kansas is still building that talent level up where the math comes into play is the fact that they're going with lower possessions. And so when you ruin a possession, when you have a penalty, when you have something that goes wrong, where you don't get points out of the possession or you have to punt that adds up really quickly and I think you've seen that the last couple weeks with Nevada and, and now BYU in that it's not that if KU had a ton of possessions, you think about a team that goes really, really fast like Tennessee, mm-hmm. then you maybe wouldn't notice those possessions as much. But when you're only having so many possessions, when you lose one to a penalty or because you do something stupid or whatever else, the impact of it is so much bigger. I mean, and we're going to talk about the second half in a minute. In the second half, Kansas only had three possessions. Three. Yeah. I mean, if you if you wind up turning the ball over, if you wind up committing a penalty in a key moment and wind up not getting points there, that's where Kansas could have lost this game. It is, you know, in a low possession game when you have those things. I agree with you in general. The The – sprint up to the line on, on short yard. That's got to go like, and you know, trash. You, you, you know, we are unabashed Andy Kotelnicki fans on this thing. We think he does an amazing job in general, but last year when they sprinted to the line, they didn't make their blocks and they got stopped. <laughs> this year, that's what twice in two games that they've committed a penalty, I think on the sprint up to the line. Mm-hmm. And so for whatever reason at Kansas, maybe that thing worked at Buffalo to a hundred percent success rate. 
at Kansas, it's not working. And, you know, it, it's something where, especially with how good this offensive line is, especially with how good these running backs in the running game is, yeah. you know, go ahead and go up to line like normal and, and execute your play because right now that's that's really hurting them. Yeah, and it's so interesting because, like, K's offensive line is so well coached and the offense yeah. is so well coached and well drilled that it almost feels like when they do that, it's like, okay, let's go to the line. We're rushing. Let's go. Ah, snap the ball. And like the offensive line, we're like, okay, I'm at, I'm here. I got to look. All right. There's, there's the defensive end. There's the defensive tackle. There's the linebacker. Oh, ball. Okay. Let's go. We're like, when you go, you regularly and KU takes a lot of time, right? They break the yeah. huddle. They get to the line of scrimmage. Jalen Daniels kind of looks around a minute and they motion someone. And then they sometimes will look to the sideline, get a different call and then go and run the play. Like, it's a different feel when an offensive lineman can put his, you know, get to a three point stance, look around, make sure, okay, Mike Nowitzki has time to call out. Here's the mic. Here's the guy in the call and thing. Like, it's just a different feel. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's got to go. But then you see in the second half, right? And I think oh, things yeah. really changed when KU was able to really start running the ball a lot better. And, I look at Jalen Daniels and I think there were a couple of plays that he made with his legs that I think really opened up the rest of the offense. And I think KU's been very deliberate in the way it's used Jalen Daniels last year. I think in the first kind of four or five weeks of the season, I wouldn't say it was willy nilly, but there were, there was no pulling back, right? KU was not gun shy. And I think that comes with KU knowing it had such a hard back half of the schedule that it knew it had to go full bore for the wins early on. And this year it feels much more deliberate. And I don't think it's any surprise that when Jalen Daniels started to make more plays with his legs in the second half, that all of a sudden some things started to open up and all of a sudden creases that were there um, in the second half that weren't there in the first half, you know, guys can go and exploit it. And the rushing yards tell you everything, Kevin. KU averaged 4.1 yards per carry in the first half. I think it was like 6.8 maybe. 6.9, nice. In the second half, like, you know, it's one of those where that number right there tells you everything you need to know about the difference between the two halves. 172 rushing yards in the second half at 6.9 yards per carry. Pretty good. Overall, you know, Kansas had the ball on three possessions, had 212 yards of total offense, 7.3 yards per play. Something that's kind of fun, too, you know, Jalen was so good in the in the first half against Illinois. But, yeah. you know, the second half against Nevada, the second half against this one, no incompletions in either game. He was four for four uh, in this one. And so over the last two second halves, so four quarters, but the second halves of, of both of the last two games, Jalen's 15 for 15 for 237 yards, so throwing it down the field. Two touchdowns, and he's also run nine times for for fifty nine yards. So he's, I mean, he's played like an all American, you know, over the uh, over the second half of the last couple games. I, I think they need to cut down on some of the mistakes, obviously, in the first half. But let, let's talk real quick about those three second half drives. First one goes for a touchdown. Second one goes for a touchdown. You get the third one with, I think, 8.02 left on the clock. And you run six and a half minutes off the clock and get the uh, 
and get the field goal basically to clinch the game. And so you score 17 points on on three drives, but really you scored, I don't want to say max points, but you know what I mean? You scored a touchdown on the two you needed to, and you got the game clinching field goal on the drive that you needed to there. And so when you look at that, I mean, they, they had perfect efficiency, you know, in, in that second half from an offensive standpoint, that's yeah. something obviously you'd like to see. I'm not saying they need to score on every possession all the time, but I do think that they were really, really good when it mattered most against BYU. Yeah. And I think against a team like Texas, if they come out and they have the slow start they've had the last couple of weeks, if they have the where they kind of step on their own feet, you know, with penalties or, or different mistakes. You know, I, I think that that could come back to haunt them just because they might not wind up having sort of enough possessions on the back end of the game to come back if they do build themselves into a hole. Yeah. Well, I think it's all like you mentioned, Kevin, it's all game management and it's kind of yeah. like a like a boa constrictor where it like can feel kind of a little bit of sense of not give up because I don't think BYU gave up in this game, but a sense of weakness. And then it kind of just slowly tightens its grip. Yeah on its prey. And that's really what I felt like that drive was for Kansas where KU felt, okay, we need to get points here. We need to take as much time off the clock as possible. We need to run the ball. And I think that's exactly where the development of this program physically under Matt Gildersleeve really pays off because this is a team that I, how many times Kevin in year one or Lance Seipold, the KU like go into halftime, um, was it going to halftime with it close and then they would fade in the second half? Is, is that yeah. the stat, right? Yeah. Or I think KU got just blown out in so many second halves where now you're looking at this team outlasting BYU in the physicality department. They outlasted, I think, you know, Illinois to some degree in the physicality department. And so I think this team is showing that there's more growth in the physical side of things and the ability to lean on that running game is so huge because – KU's going to play in a lot more one score, kind of two score borderline games this year. And the ability to kind of suck the air out of the ball, suck the tempo out of the game, especially maybe you look ahead to maybe a team like Texas Tech that might want to go fast. Can you control the play, you know, the pace of the play and do it at your own pace? I think that's huge. I think to show that and to show, again, different ways to win games. I think it's really huge, and I think this team, again, continues to check off the boxes as we go through these weeks, right, of of the different things that you maybe didn't see every game last year or maybe you haven't seen before under Lance Seipold. These are all things that I think are just slowly building, and it's it's pretty encouraging. Yeah, and you think about what Kansas did in that second half. They threw the ball four times in the second half. <laughs> and, you and know, we got two of them. Yeah, and, and when you when you look at it, that way in that final drive they didn't throw the ball once you know every single play was a run what have we talked about all year I mean all the way back into the spring even we said one of the goals with this team was going to be being able to run the ball when you wanted to run it and when Mm -hmm. the other team knew you wanted to run it and being able to run the ball anyway and when you look at when you look at Lance Leipold's program at Buffalo they didn't have a Jalen Daniels I'm not saying they didn't have any good quarterbacks, but they didn't have a guy with that kind of dynamism in, in Jalen Daniels. And so that was how they won games, right? Mm-hmm. 
they either ran the ball to the outside on you and you couldn't do anything about it, or you tried to sit outside and, and not let them run the ball outside and they killed you up the middle. And they did it without throwing the ball a ton of times. You know, they they were able to build that over the course of, of their time there. And you look at this Kansas team, we talked a little bit earlier about it. When they ran the ball against Illinois, you know, they really spread them out and created, you know, sort of some horizontal creases to increase verse and to build vertical creases. Yeah. BYU lined up in a way that they were not going to let Kansas get outside of them. They were not going to let Kansas run it. So where did Kansas run it? They lined up and ran it right down their throat. And the ability to not just have a running game, but a multifaceted running game where you can execute plays to be able to run inside or outside, depending on what the defense is showing and giving you, uh, I think, you know, it has been one of the major developments of this year because Jalen's playing really well right now. He is. I mean, he, mm -hmm. you know, you, you look at, you know, 14 of 19 for 130 yards, completing 74% of your passes, throwing three touchdowns, you know, that's pretty good, but the stats aren't jumping off the page. It's not like he's throwing for 500 yards like he did against Arkansas, but Kansas doesn't need him to. And when you look at, when you look at Jalen's biggest value right now, I think you hit the nail right on the head. It's not that his throwing isn't important. And, you know, he's still his ability to move in the pocket and create big plays by basically holding onto the ball is a, is a big deal. But I think his biggest value is that people have to respect his legs again. And that opens up so much for so many different guys in this running game. 100%. And look, Kevin, you're saying that and I, it just popped in my head. You know, what's the saying a lot of people are using now in the NFL? Like what, you know, wins aren't a QB stat. Yeah, sure. Right. I, guess what happens when Jalen Daniels starts for Kansas? They win a lot of football games. You know, you go back really? to his first year, right? You know, you look at the Texas game, or I'm, I'm not even going to count 2020, like Leipold <laughs> led teams, right? So year one, he's what? One and two. Okay, sure. Then you go back to last year, right? You get the, the, the five and O start. It ends up being five and one. You know, you lose the two games against K-State and Texas, but then you lose the bowl game. It's competitive. And now start this year, like KU has won a lot of games, with Jalen Daniels. I can't do the math in my head right now. Again, you mentioned math earlier, Kevin, I'm terrible at it. So that's not going to happen here live as we do this recording of the, of the podcast. But well, I, I think based on the games you mentioned, it'd be, it'd be eight and four, but let's, let's, let's be honest here. I mean, the Texas and Kansas state games were not Jalen Daniels at, at his healthiest. And, and, no. you know, and so when, when you look at, at all of that, you know, it's, even within that stat, you know, there's a little bit of noise, if you will. I mean, I, I can't remember if you included the TCU loss in there or not. He played a mm -hmm. half of that thing. You know, it, it's hard to hard to blame him too much for that. But even with all that said, a lot of those game, a lot of those games, and certainly less so this year, but a lot of those games were played with a defense that was giving up a score pretty quickly on the other end, and, and so. For Kansas to win at that rate, like you said, I, I get why QB wins isn't a stat, and I 100% agree with it. I do think that that's aimed a little bit more at, you know, Tom Brady never won a Super Bowl without a top 10 defense. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and and so that's not to say that Tom Brady wasn't responsible for a lot of wins. Of course he was, but they were team wins, and, and it was yeah. something that, you know that you had a, a lot of help with. And, and there are exceptions and people who elevate their team maybe beyond what what it should be. But yeah, Kansas Kansas wins a lot of football games with Jalen Daniels at quarterback, and even even the games that they don't win, a lot of times he puts them into position to win in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been if he didn't play hundred percent. What would be your biggest takeaway from this game? Cause now, now we're, this is the weird part of college football. All of a sudden now we're a quarter. No, we're, yeah. we're a third of the way through third, the season. Third, now. Yeah. A quarter was last week. Now we're at a third, you know, in two weeks we'll be halfway, you know, college football is so short and yeah. there are only so many data points you get. So, well, what do you think for you is the biggest takeaway from this game? Yeah, I think Kansas's ability to control the game with the run was such such a huge thing. I mean, that was that second half, BYU knew Kansas wanted to line up and run the ball and just couldn't do anything with it. And, and when you when you saw that last drive in particular, where it was, okay, we know Kansas wants to run it. Lance Leipold is notoriously conservative in those situations you know and and he he may get angry at me for for saying that but i think that's proved out and and, you know he's the type of guy that will run the ball three times for the clock to run down and then punt it if he if that's what he has to do and kansas just kept running and running and running and running down the field and and used up six and a half minutes and so Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. Um, I, I don't want to take away from from your takeaway. The other thing, because I know you asked me for one takeaway, and so I don't I don't want to you know crap all over your takeaway. But uh, Kansas is so much better at defensive tackle this year mm-hmm. than it was a year ago, and I think as much as we look at the DBs and how great they've been, and they've been terrific, I think they're the strength of the defense. Yeah. As much as much as we we look at all of that, I think having that spine right in the middle of their defense has made the defense so much better this year. Because I'm not sure, even with them bringing in Devin Phillips, even with them bringing in Gage Keys, even with all the you know the buzz around Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, um, Keenan Caldwell's had a good season. You know, it has broken in and it has done some nice things, but just. Kansas went from last year having, uh, I feel like, defensive tackles that, you know, could flash here or there, make a play here or there. I think this year Kansas has a legitimate Big 12 group of defensive tackles, and that kind of almost happened overnight, right? And and so I think that was my other takeaway was BYU wanted to line up and be physical. If you – BYU ran for nine yards in this game. We put the stat up on the sh- up on the thing, but I don't think we ever said it verbally. BYU ran for nine yards in this game, and a big part of that was BYU wanted to run the ball. They wanted to run the ball early, and Kansas straight up the middle with those defensive tackles basically said, no, if you're going to get your yards, you're going to get them elsewhere. Yeah, and look, even if you want to do the sack-adjusted Rush sure. yards, right? BYU ran for 35 yards yeah. and 1.8 yards per carry. So regardless, if you want to have the sacks in there, you don't want to have the sacks in there. That's cool. Um, 
Yeah, I think for me, it's just KU continues to show different ways they can win games. And I think that's so important because as this thing continues to grow and build, these players are going to get used to winning. And it's just crazy to think that it's back-to-back seasons of a 4-0 start. Like, it, when you take a step back to think about it, it really is really impressive. You know, as you go through in the moment, you look at each individual game and you look last year at the games and KU outplayed Houston. They really did outplay Duke and they outplayed sure. Tennessee Tech and they did enough to beat West Virginia. You look this year, you know, KU outplayed Illinois. They outplayed Missouri. They got by in the weirdest game of the century at Nevada. <laughs> and they more or less outplayed BYU for most of this game. Like, for me, that's the thing is this is a program that generally has not done a lot of winning and to all of a sudden in consecutive seasons to rattle off starts like this is it's just really impressive. And it's really um, positive for the direction of the program, because even guys that are younger down in the food chain right now are learning what it looks like to win in college football. And Kenny Logan didn't have that. Right. And Kobe yeah. Bryant really didn't have that. They had to learn on the fly where now you've kind of got this base layer of expectation inside the program. And I think that for me is probably the biggest thing that stood out is just KU continues to show it can win games in different ways. And again, I think that's so encouraging when you look forward to big 12 play where KU's kind of got different pelts on the wall. Now, if a team wants to go play them in a shootout, they'll play in a shootout. You're telling me Andy Kodanek, you wouldn't love to go like play in a game like that. I'm sure the defensive coaches would, but <laughs> you look on the other side and if it's a grinded out fist fight of a game, okay, you can do that, right? Mm-hmm. They've got the run game where they can establish that and play to that level. So I think it's just, that's the type of thing for me that I look long-term for this team. That's what's the most encouraging because right now this looks, this team's going to go back to a bowl game. The big 12 stinks. The big 12 really stinks. And this team's going to go to another bowl game. And it's just a question of how good of a bowl game. Is it going to be the Alamo Bowl? I'd take that. I'd go to San Antonio. Um, San Antonio's yes, not that's bad the question that time Say it again. I said San Antonio's not bad that time of year. No, it's not. I'll take it. Um, but this team continues to trend in the right direction. And there yeah. will be a setback. If I had to guess, setback's going to come six days from when we're recording this. But I think you have enough confidence in the program that they'll be able to bounce back from it. They'll be all right, you know, and they'll get back on the bike and do it again the next week and, you know, play UCF and then go play Oklahoma State, who, again, might stink really bad. Um, And so, yeah, I think that for me is just it's encouraging. So that's my final thought. Any other final thoughts? Uh, we bring this up, I feel like, just about every week. But I like the way Lance Leipold coaches the team in that they beat BYU by 11, and you know that he was in there on Sunday basically saying, hey, if you want to beat Texas, these are the things that you're going to need to clean up. Like, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't have this penalty at this spot. You can't have this here. And, and you know, it, it's not – Coaches don't like to make a mountain out of the team that they're playing for obvious reasons. I mean, they don't want to, they don't usually go like to go in and be like, this is the number three team in the country. You know, you probably can't even play with these guys or or whatever. Um, But one of the things that Lance Leifold, I feel like has been um, fairly consistent about is 
that he talks all the time about if we're going to win at the highest level, this is the type of game that it's going to require us to play. And Mm -hmm. that requires being clean from an assignment standpoint, not blowing coverages, being where you're supposed to be, not, you know, no penalties, avoiding turnovers, different things like that. And, And so when you look at the way that he's trying to build this program, because even with how good Kansas could be this year. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody who was kind of a a Kansas pessimist a little bit um, after the game. And he was like, you know, there's a chance KU wins nine games. And that, that chance is out there with, with that schedule there. Even if Kansas were to win nine games, that's not what Leipold's aiming at. You know, and I, I know that that's, that sounds you know, like, oh, every coach wants to win championships or whatever. But even when Kansas was in spots early in his career at KU where you were looking at positions where, as a coach, maybe you would take a moral victory or two, right? Yeah. Where where you say, hey, this was the Oklahoma game, for instance, where Caleb Williams just rescues them on that fourth down play with the potentially illegal you know, forward pass type type deal, you know, however, however you want to do that, Lance Leipold didn't go in and be like, I'm so proud of you. You played the best that you possibly could. You know, this is whatever. Even then, you know, he was talking about if we're going to play at the highest levels, you know, you did a lot of things right. You didn't do enough right. And, And I think that heading into the Texas game and potentially heading out of the Texas game, even if Kansas loses that game, even if Kansas wins that game, if Kansas finds a way to win in Austin, Lance Leipold is not going to come back to the locker room and say, see, we should be a top five team. He's going to say to him, hey, great job. You won this game. Here's still all of these things that you need to fix if we're going to be this kind of a team consistently. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned, right, the goal for this program is to win the Big 12. and. You know, Lance Leipold has won national championships before. Tra- Travis, Travis Goff in our in our podcast with Travis Goff, you know, it was kind of like, why not us, you know, in the new Big 12 with with the way things are going around in conference realignment with the money that's, you know, that's going into the program, the facilities and things like that. And, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but he was very, you know, when you have that alignment where it's not just the football coach, who's saying, hey, I want to win, but it, it's all the way through. And everybody's saying, you know, nine and three would be great, but it's not where we want to go. You know, that that's when you have a chance, I think. Exactly. I think, you know, Matt Gilbrosley was talked about, right, continuing to elevate the standard. And I think this season is elevating the standard on what the team set last season at. And I, it's just one of those things where it's, it continues to be, um, really positive, and so I th- it's another huge test this week, right? And yeah. I am. I'll be down there. I know you'll be down there as well. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see how this game plays out because this is gonna be really like Texas deserves to be the number three team in the country. Like they yeah. are really, really good, and I don't think Texas is gonna overlook Kansas here. I, I think the days of and look if a team overlooks KU, then what are they doing? Like what yeah. are they missing? I mean, especially you know. when Kansas has that that number next to their name, and, and you know, for those of yeah. you who missed it, Kansas is ranked this week. You know, yeah. in both polls at, at number twenty four, and so 
yeah, overlook Kansas at this point at, at your own peril. Exactly. And at that point, yeah, the team if you're not you're not a serious college football team if you're overlooking a ranked team and a team that has one healthy, right? Won a lot of games over the last, you know, yep. whatever, 13 months or so. Um, so yeah, should be a really interesting week. Obviously, you know, we'll all have a, a midweek podcast with Chip Brown, I believe. We'll have that out at some point in the middle of the week. Kevin, you and I will do a, a recruiting podcast with uh Ryan Wallace. Later in the week, we were at Blue Valley Northwest versus Lee Summit North. We got a lot to talk about with that game, some new local offers, um, a lot going on. Make sure you're subscribing to the Fog Dynet podcast feed on whatever uh, platform you get your podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Make sure you're liking the videos, leave comments. It all helps with the algorithm, which helps the show reach a lot of new people. And hopefully everyone is enjoying these shows because I know Kevin and I are really enjoying them. So should be another really fun week in the world of Kansas football. And Kevin and I will be back for another episode probably next Sunday, maybe next Monday. Depends on the travel schedule for both of us. But um, thanks as always, Kevin, and hope everyone has a great week.